Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where Pastor Lauren Regeer opens God's Word each week to provide us with biblically-based teaching that helps you meet life head-on. Thank you for joining us, and may your hearts be blessed as God's Word is taught. And now, here is Pastor Lauren Regeer. Exodus chapter 13, we'll read a few verses here. In fact, we'll circle some um, principles from Exodus 5 through 13 as we really establish a truth. One uh, main principle this morning, and then we'll have two more before we celebrate the Lord's Supper tonight. So this is a two-parter. I rarely do that with a sermon, continue to the evening service with the same text and same sermon. But uh, we'll have two points we'll add briefly tonight to this wonderful passage it is, of course, the, really the prescription of the Passover celebration. It was supposed to be celebrated, and it was at the beginning of their new year. The Feast of Unleavened Bread culminated with the Passover feast. And you know or the celebration. It's a solemn celebration, really. And it began their new year. And for the Jew, that would be called the month of Abib or Nisan, And it corresponds to our month March or April. It was the beginning of their ecclesiastical, not civil, new year, religious new year. And this year in Israel, the Passover will be celebrated on April 15. So uh, they've already got it, of course, on their schedule. It was the first of, uh, it was supposed to be for the Jewish uh, culture and custom, the first of four spring feasts. There were seven in total. There were three in the fall that were celebrated as well. And I want to read a few verses out of Exodus 13 to begin to set the context for our thoughts this morning. The strong, holding the strong hand of God in 2022. Again, three ideas today. God's power delivers, His blood secures, and God's Word assures. We will only really spend time with the first principle, but I hope to entrench it deeply in our hearts. God's power delivers. In chapter 13, beginning in verse 2, we'll read a few verses. I want you to pay special attention to verses, well, we'll get to them uh, as we read along here, the second verse, and then we'll look at other verses, verse 9 and verse 16. And students, I want you to kind of pick up on a theme uh, from which the title is derived. Exodus chapter 13, beginning in verse 2, Moses said unto the people, Remember this day, which ye came out from Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out from this place. There shall no leavened bread be eaten. Leaven in that day was really a symbol to the Jew of sin, of evil, of its influence potentially in the life. This day came ye out of the month Abib. And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites. This is all prophetic still. Uh, This was a prediction of what would happen. And take you to the land of all the ites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, which he swear unto thy fathers to give thee, promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, that thou shalt keep this service, this celebration, this festival, this memorial in this month really the start of your religious calendar. I thought that's appropriate for our own beginning this year. Seven days shalt thou eat unleavened bread, and in the seventh day shall be a feast to the Lord. 
Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and there shall be no leavened bread be seen with thee, neither shall there be any leaven seen with thee in all thy quarters or thy house. And thou shalt show thy son in that day, this is done, because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. Verse 9, And it shall be a sign unto thee upon thine hand for a memorial between thine eyes, that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth, and for with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. Verse 10, Thou shalt therefore keep this ordinance in its season at the beginning of their religious calendar from year to year. Now verse 16. And it shall be a token upon thine hand and four frontlets between thine eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt. Okay, Bible students, what is it there that the Lord is emphasizing in at least those verses, those Verses 3, 9, and 16. What is it? That God has a powerfully strong hand. Perhaps you have forgotten that. As we look back at the year 2021 and some of the clouds that blew in and stayed around, thinking in terms of the health crisis, this global in its context, maybe in your life you've been through a very difficult season in the past year and you wish it were over. You wish you had some relief, and you've been tempted to doubt the strong hand of God. Well, this is a memorial given to the people of Israel, first of all, in principle, to remind them of how big their God is. There is no greater um, object lesson to the world, to the people of the Jews, than the deliverance out of the captivity of Egypt. They had been there 431 or 430 years. It's a long time, isn't it, to be under a cloud. Uh, they left, of course, 70 strong. The house of Jacob arrived after Joseph already was sent there providentially by God. And they uh, actually were given a place of privilege, the land of Goshen, and one of the best neighborhoods, the best farm ground anywhere in Egypt was right there. They were treated well during Joseph's time. But now, hundreds of years later, they are what? They're slaves. They're held captive. They are the, uh, the gratis workforce of the greatest nation at the time on the earth, led by Pharaoh, the land of Egypt. So 430 years is a long time to be away from biblical instruction, any form of godly worship. And so some, the Bible tells us, by way of history, began to cry out to God. I love the truth, and if you want to use your Bible to go back to Exodus chapter 3 and verse 9, I love the truth, keep your finger here, but Exodus chapter 3 and verse 9, I love the truth about God in terms of those who cry out to Him. Look at chapter 3 of Exodus and verse 9, Behold, the cry of the children of Israel is, Come unto me, God is speaking. This is the commissioning of Moses earlier, earlier on. And I've also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Isn't it great? I don't know how many it was, but there was a growing number, a growing mandate, a growing cry from the people of Israel under the oppression of slavery, the burden of a, of, of a land where there was no true worship at all. And they began to cry out to God. It's been hundreds of years. They're displaced occupants. And they say, God, please remember us. 
And God, the Bible says, begins to hear. Isn't it great that your God hears? Call unto me and I will answer thee. The ears of the Lord are upon the cry of the righteous. His eyes run to and fro, seeking those whose hearts are perfect. His heart is not hard that he cannot hear. His hand not short. So it is that we see them crying out, crying out to God, and God listens. Isn't it true that in terms of God's power, we tend to be very impressed with the powerful things around us, not the strong arms of God above us? I've noticed that's true uh, in my generation, in this current generation as well, I've noticed that we are very apt to follow the brightest light, to surround ourselves with human mirrors and be really impressed with the powerful hands around us and not the powerful God above us. And so God says, when you start a new year, your religious calendar, start with this idea that God's power is like no other power known to man. We had in a church that we were a part of years ago a little girl who was only about four, three or four years at the time, but she learned a word and she said it with her duchy kid talk. Impressive. But she would say it, impressive. And so when her dad would wiggle his ears or whatever, she would get big eyes and say, Impressive. Maybe you have a, a little one that has duchy talk like that. Well, I have found that we in this world are very impressed with things that aren't really that big of a deal in the eyes of God. In fact, we have a low view of God Himself. I understand now that there are electric cars, uh, non-combustion engines that can go zero to 60 miles an hour in less than 1.5 seconds. I know that doesn't impress the women folk much here, but these silent engines can reach speeds of 260 miles an hour and boast nearly 2,000 horses under the hood, so to speak. Electric cars. <laughs> My grandmother, born in 1896, boasted two mules in one barn. That was it. I mean, that was it. And she did not see, and she did not see a car. She told me, uh, as she's home in glory. She lived to 101. Uh, born during the, uh, the the presidency of William McKinley and died under the presidency of William uh, Clinton. But she saw a lot of changes. She says, I didn't see a car till I was 15. And she says, I believe that's when the human race began, <laughs> the race. Uh, and, and, and so we are impressed, I think, by things that are really not that impressive at all. I've got a slide here, I guess, that um, we're impressed by things like uh, sports and cars and money and political power. Uh, I'm told that the man that you see on the screen, the basketball play, player, Steph Curry, has now uh, got the record for making the most three-point shots uh, in the history of NBA. That's the Basketball Association. And he has made over 3,000 three-pointers. I made one in my life. 
And I had to do it the granny style, you know, where you go like this. Uh, but that's impressive to many. Cell phones are impressive, right? And, and really, a cell phone, I think, has some great benefits. We all, most all of us, except for my, my stepfather, most all of us have, have not step, Robin's stepfather, he's still resisting that technology. <laughs> but most of us have one, and it's a great benefit to us. But it tends to be simply uh, the continual flow, the seduction of human power, the seduction of just the, the display of what man can do. And you can take that cell phone and immediately uh, call somebody in Cambodia. You can pay your bills online, even tied to the church online. You could do so many things. You can always pick up a video of the latest amazing thing, Right? You can see a kid jump off a three-story building, do 10 backflips and land on his feet and walk away. And we tend to take these phones, right, that are simply a flow of human power and what we can do. And we walk around, you're just like me, and, have you, and, you, and you do this. Have you seen this? Isn't this amazing? It might be your grandchildren, I don't know. But a lot of times, especially I see teens doing this, have you seen have you seen this video? I saw a picture, it's on the fridge of my son. He's diving to head the ball in a soccer game at Pensacola Christian College. I mean, he's diving through the air. Beautiful thing. And in the background, I noticed it just this morning, in the background of this picture are two girls, college girls, I assume, walking totally unimpressed with him. And both of them are walking down the sidewalk doing this. While he's making this amazing move. And we're doing that, aren't we? We are impressed with ourselves. We are self, like Pharaoh was, self-obsessed. Isn't this amazing? Aren't we wonderful? Have you seen that? What's next in technology, in sports, in politics, we always hold our breath for the next great thing. So it is, we have to understand that we are to be impressed. That's, the, that's really the, the, the strength of this introduction to the Passovers that God, first of all, says, I want you to remember it is my strong hand three times in chapter 13. It is my strong hand that delivered. When's the last time, can I ask you that, that you not took your cell phone and said, you got to see this. You've got to, I mean, have you seen this? <laughs> When's the last time that you have told somebody, I want you to know how great my God is? Can you believe what God is doing in my life? Can you, can, you, can you believe this answer to prayer? Instead of, aren't we amazing? Isn't it great what man can do? Isn't this extreme thing so, isn't this cool? No. When's the last time you just said, this is what God is doing? And so, as we begin a new year, the first principle out of the gate, religiously speaking for the Jew, was do you remember the strong arm of God. And so God sets up this idea of his power and his strength, purposefully sending a shepherd with a stick 
into the palace of the greatest uh, potentate ruler of the day, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And not only does God send the shepherd with a stick into the palace of this great king, this emperor of the world, with a staff, comes Moses, but God sends him into the presence of a man whose heart is like a stone. He does it on purpose that the world may know how great God is. Let's read Exodus 12, verses 1 and 2. Exodus 12, verses 1 and 2. He he does this in order that we might, the beginning of this year, the beginning of the Jewish calendar as well, Old Testament, of course, put in our minds the primary foundational truth of God's power. The Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. Their April, corresponding, of course, to our civil calendar, January. It shall be the first month of the year to you. So he wants them to remember his power delivers. As they began a new year, new devotion, new life, new way of life that they hadn't known for 430 years. God says, I want you to first magnify my power to deliver. This miracle of deliverance came when Israel had been in a death grip of slavery for now for over four centuries. And they were led again by this man, Pharaoh, who by every count was the most implacable, obstinate, God-hating person in the universe. And so... Here comes, here comes Moses, who's been hiding in the wilderness for 40 years, a former prince in the palace, but wants nothing to do with his former life until God knocks on his heart door, sends him back. <laughs> a dark sky is always the best background for the display of God's power. Maybe in your life, the sky is dark, and you have not been crying out to God You have just been crying. I encourage you to remember his great power. So Moses arrives at the palace. And just by way of kind of reviewing the story, most of you are aware of it. In the palace, he finds Pharaoh and all his magician friends. And he asks, Moses does, for the dismissal of the Israelite workforce, nearly 200 strong. And he's met with a laugh of incredulity and a feeble attempt by his magicians to copy or replicate God's wonders. Chapter 5, we'll we'll bounce around a little bit, reminds us of this encounter. Chapter 5, verse 2, Moses says, I want you to let my people, God's people, go. Well, (laughs) he laughs. In fact, he in essence says, Moses... Get get to the back of the line, please. What in the world? How crazy is this notion? Chapter 5, verse 1, Moses and Aaron went in to see Pharaoh. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. 
And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let people go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Five times in the Bible it says that, that Moses, excuse me, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Five other times it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You see the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. And we see first this response from Pharaoh himself. Are you kidding me? Who is God that I should obey him? After all, I'm Pharaoh. I am self-obsessed. I am the greatest. And so the, the, the I want to be meets the great I am in this contest of ten plagues. Three, uh, three triplets. And then the final plague, which really is the one upon which the Passover is celebrated. So Moses, he says, step aside. He believed in himself, his own gods of the Nile. Egypt had their gods, the frogs, the beetles, the flies, the lice. They had their trust in the sun god. There would be a pestilence or a plague that darkened the sky, the sun. So what God does in this contest of power, which really wasn't a contest, right? What God does is God makes a mockery of every little god. They had all kinds of deities, but God chooses eight or nine or ten of them, (laughs) and he simply bruises them, slaps them in the face, exposes the, the vanity, the emptiness of a false trust a false deity, a fa- and they had plenty of them, and simply extols by exploding the power of these gods and exposing them, he elevates his strong arm. Have you forgotten? Has it not been shown to you, Isaiah said in chapter 40 of Isaiah, the greatness of God? He took the nation Isaiah did up to the top of the hill said, Behold your God, who can create this pointing to the stars? To Job, he does the same thing. The end of his trial, he says, Job, who can make all these things? Only God can. And so this contest really highlights the wonderful power of God's mighty hand. Dear friend, you serve a mighty God. Don't forget that as you embark on 2022. It is indeed a time where we don't know, but God's already been there. So what He does, God explodes these uh, these false gods and begins to let these false gods feed on their own followers. God makes a mockery. The Nile turns red, the lice begin to crawl, the beetles buzz, the frogs invade, even jumping into the kitchen sink and counters. You see, God often uses the sin of sinners to destroy the sinner by the superfluity or the overflow of our own foolishness, our own false trust. God brings us to ruin. God, I think, just like Elijah on the Mount Carmel, has a sense of humor. Sometimes it's a bit sarcastic, right? Oh, you like frogs? then frogs you will have. 
And here they came out of the lakes of the ponds and the Nile River till they were knee high. I think Dr. Seuss would have had a wonderful time if he was an Egyptian living at the time. Listen, please. Frogs we do worship, frogs we adore. But why are there so many frogs at my door? There's frogs in my syrup and frogs on my stirrups, frogs in the lake and frogs on my cake, frogs in my sinks. My, there's even frogs on the sphinx. One frog, blue blue frog, three frog, four, say, I don't think I like frogs anymore. I went to college for that. God is beginning to mock their false gods, bringing misery to their economy, destroying them blow by blow. Pharaoh's wise men, after about the second plague, are, are even unable to fake what God is doing by His strong arm. Exodus chapter 8, again, let's go there. Exodus 8 and verse 19 reminds us that finally the magicians understand we can't compete with that God. Chapter 8, verse 19, the magicians said unto Pharaoh, this has to be the finger of God, the hand of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Finally, in chapter 10, in verse 17, uh, moving a bit today, they tell him, it's enough. 10 verse 7, I'm sorry, 10 verse 7 Pharaoh's servant said unto him, How long shall this man, Moses, be a snare to us? Essentially, he's killing us. Let the men go that, we may serve, that they may serve the Lord their God. Knowest thou not yet, Pharaoh, that Egypt is destroyed? Their God is making a shame of all of our gods. And if, if Pharaoh, if you don't wise up, We're going to be totally decimated. Yet he resisted, hardened his heart yet more and more. As I mentioned five times, the Bible says he hardened his heart. Finally, on the last plague, his heart is not broken. His will is. His iron will is. His heart never was broken. I think there's two reasons God chose this hard-hearted man Chapter 9 and verse 16 gives us a clue. Chapter 9 and verse 16. And in, this, and in very deed, for this cause I have raised thee up, Pharaoh, to show in thee my power. To show in thee my power, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. For this cause I raised up, the afflictions around you. For this cause, dear Christian friend, I've raised up the most pernicious and difficult enemy you might ever think of. For this cause, I've put you through a trial that my name through this difficulty and the dark template upon which you, in, upon which you live, the clouds that hover over your life, if, if this is the moment for God's glory to be revealed on the dark canvas as a diamond is best seen, In a dark velvet, the sparkle of God's power and His glory. He picked Pharaoh on purpose. 
that his glory, mighty power might be declared by the crushing of Egypt's economy, the crossing of the Red Sea, the collapse of the Egyptian army, and the coldness of Pharaoh's heart, the confluence or the congruence of all these four things, so difficult, elevated God's great, mighty power. Some of us are so worried, thinking, when in the world will life return to normal? When will this be over, this thing called corona or COVID? We just can't wait for it to be over so that what? Life can be normal, whatever that was. I wonder if God is painting a dark background for His mighty power in your life. Brian was mentioning this morning where he works, people coming in, taking these tests. Even though the new uh, virus isn't nearly as lethal as its uh, former manifestations, people are coming in wanting to be tested, wanting to know. Scared, he says, to death. There is a national, even global, panic-demic going on, right? So what is the church to do? Well, how is the Christian to respond to that? To bad news. Well, the good news is God is still on His throne, right? So we're to remember God's power delivers. God's power delivers. Delivers. And tonight, we're going to remember that God's blood secures and His Word assures. I'm going to handle those two points rather briefly before we celebrate the New Testament manifestation of the Passover for the church. The ordinance, of course, of the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, the New Covenant established with those of us in the church. But I'm so thankful that in this dark moment... God's mighty hand. We are often too much in love with the powerful arms around us, too much to reach out for, of course, the power of God above us. Well, before we close up shop, I want to extract a couple more principles from this wonderful, really, this this exchange between Moses and Pharaoh. The strong hand of God. Well, this is the final straw. Chapter 12 tells us in terms of God's patience. After all these nine pestilences, we mentioned them briefly to you, not in order, of course, but God in triplets comes and presents to Pharaoh one more pestilence, one more plague after another, until finally there's about nothing left of Egypt's economy. Uh, all, most all the cattle are gone and di- died, and the live crop, the, the, the livestock, and the crops are decimated. We come really to set up the fact that God's blood secures our true deliverance. But what I think is interesting about this 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 battle with Moses and Pharaoh is he comes finally to chapter ten, and we want to get there. And just share these thoughts before we close up. Chapter 10, the end of it. Nine plagues have come and gone. And we see then this final thought from Pharaoh. Chapter 10 and verse 28. After nine plagues, here's what Pharaoh says to Moses. 
verse 27, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He would not let the people go. And Pharaoh said unto him, Get thee from me, Moses. Take heed to thyself to see my face no more. For in that day, Moses, that you attempt to see my face again, thou shalt die. Get out. I don't want to see your face anymore. And if you come around the palace again, you're going to die. End of story. And Moses, verse 29, said some of the most troubling words ever. Thou hast spoken well. Then what does he say? I will see your face no more. Listen, friend, this is the, if I could end this morning with a warning, at this point, Moses simply quits knocking on Pharaoh's door. It's the saddest moment in your life is the moment when you cross the line of no return. And because of your unbelief, because of your hardness, you abandon your, your only hope, your only lifeline. And when you cross that point of no return, forever in hell will these words echo in your head. Thou hast spoken well. The only hope, the only help, the only promise that Pharaoh would ever have or know was Moses because Moses was the conduit to God himself. And Moses looks at Pharaoh and says, Very well, you will never see my face again. And those words are echoing now for thousands of years in the mind of Pharaoh. No one in the palace liked the visits of Moses. And so their hearts became harder and harder. Does God ever abandon you? Only when you abandon Him. The unpardonable sin is a hard heart that simply has no place for God's grace. He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall be destroyed, and that without remedy. Your sweetest friend is often the one who warns you. You keep doing that or not doing this, and the result will be tragic. There's the danger of insincere repentance. Did you know that Pharaoh more than once asked for Moses to pray for him in this process of the ten plagues? Pray for me. Entreat, chapter 9, verse 27, pray for me, he says. It's an interesting verse. Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and said unto him, I have sinned this time. Well, these are good words. Words you might hear at an altar call. I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and I, my people, are wicked. Pray for me. Pray that the, Entreat the Lord, for it is enough. So after the hail, the fiery hail, he says to Moses, I have sinned, the Lord is righteous, and my people are wicked. It is enough. What is he asking for, really? Verse 28. He's asking for relief, not reconciliation with God. There's a big difference. He wants relief from the lightning and the thunder. 
Relief from God is not the same as repentance, true repentance. Pharaoh doesn't see God's plagues as indicators that he needs to fall on his face before this true God, this true and mighty God, and confess his sinfulness and his wickedness and ask God's mercy for transforming life to his heart. He doesn't see God. Moses is God as the only true God. No, he's still resisting and Moses knows it. Verse 30 of chapter 9, he says, Moses replies, But as for thee and thy servants, I know, I know, I know that ye will not fear the Lord God. You're asking for me to pray for you, but your heart is so hard. May I just say this as I close this first installment of this message, this first point. Confessing the wickedness, listen carefully, confessing the wickedness of your soul, and even praying that God would save you from the final pestilence, the final judgment, which is hell, complete separation from God in a place of outer and utter darkness, where the worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched, that is the ultimate plague. Confessing to God, well, I'm a sinner. He did that. Pharaoh did. And I'm wicked. Pray then, Moses. Pray for me, preacher, that I will not go to a place or live in a place called hell. Who votes for hell? How many folks would vote for heaven instead of hell? Sure, we all would. But that is not saving faith. If you got saved and never dealt with your sin and only wanted, only voted for heaven, friend, you're not saved. Does that sound harsh? Pharaoh knew he was wicked and just wanted relief from the next difficult thing. But as for thee, thy servants, I know that ye will not fear the Lord, trust the Lord, love the Lord. He was right because the very next plague, chapter 10, verse 17, Pharaoh says even more exciting words if you're a soul winner. Chapter 10, verse 17, here's what Moses, or excuse me, here's what Pharaoh says. Now therefore forgive. We know that only God can forgive, but he looks at Moses, forgive me, I pray, my sin only this once. <laughs> and pray to the Lord God that he may take away from me this death only. I don't know how many kids come up in, in, in services. They're, they, they're scared to death of death, scared to death of hell, and they come and pray that God will deliver me from hell. There's no conviction of sin in their hearts. There's no understanding that God was their sin substitute and that God came to deliver them from sin and break the chains that hold their soul and holds their soul in captivity to sin. If you pray to be saved from hell and not sin, we're not saved. Everybody wants heaven. The book of Exodus, dear friends, doesn't just remind us that God's hand is powerful to deliver two million Jews who can't swim through the Red Sea and have them do a little party on the other side. Isn't no? No, no. The idea, and we'll see that tonight in the Passover, is that God's arm is mighty to save us from 
the greatest enemy we will ever know, and that's our sinfulness. Did you know this Old Testament miracle of deliverance of the people through the Red Sea, out of the jaws of Egypt after 400 plus years, was known as the greatest manifestation of power ever. In fact, 40 years, 40 years after the deliverance of God's people from Egypt, 40 years after, when, when Joshua arrived at Jericho and they did a little espionage, a little spying trip, and a lady there in Jericho that was straightly or strictly shut up because of the Jews coming, because of the Israelites, they talked to her, and know what she says in Joshua chapter 2? Forty years later, she says, we have heard, we're scared to death of you, because we've heard what God did in delivering you through the Red Sea. This display of power, this miracle of deliverance of the people through the Red Sea, shook the whole world. It raised up the powerful hand of God, but that was not the main idea of the Passover and this feast that initiated their year. It was that God has wonderful power to deliver from sin. Hence, the blood on the lentil, the blood on the doorposts. We'll see that tonight before we partake together. But he starts out by, under, by Moses' understanding or at least Pharaoh understanding the great power of God is greater than any false god around. It pictures the only God that can truly save. Tonight again briefly, we'll address the same passage and look at our God, not only who can deliver from sin and every other enemy, but our God's blood that secures us and our God's word that assures us and then as a church family, as we begin a new year, we will enjoy the elements of the Lord's table by which he prescribes for us a continual reminder for the church that it is by the blood of Jesus Christ alone and his death on the cross that we are made right with God, as John reminded us before we prayed for the offering, justified by faith alone in Christ alone through the finished work of Christ on the cross. Amen. Do you have a powerful God? As the year begins, we sure do. And we are to, we to remind ourselves of that often by looking back, by not just holding up our cell phones and saying to one another, isn't this amazing? Saying often to our children, generations to come, isn't God amazing? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege of spending time in your... Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Pastor Lauren Regeer at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.